welcome to another episode of Willing to Conspire. I'm Ben. And I'm Gid. And we're back. Gid, you had something interesting to tell me. I sure did. So, I'm originally from South Africa. And I'm sorry. Eh, not everyone's perfect, I suppose. We've all got our faults somewhere along the line. Clearly. Um, I just... There's the interesting story of, of the Zulu creation story about lizards. Please tell and me. And their devious... I- devious nature i cannot possibly see where you might be going with this so once upon a time when the world was just swamps and forests and no people i can't pronounce the god's (laughs) name so i'm not even going to try it's just going to be a waste of my time anyway god or the zulu god Mm -hmm. created two people now these two people created uh, procreated and more and more people existed in the world and god decided to test these people not test these people but decided to inform them that they'd live forever so he sent a chameleon to tell the people that he was that they were going to live forever. Okay. So the chameleon went on his journey to start telling people that they were going to live forever. But on the way, he stopped to admire the fact that his skin could change different colours. He stopped to eat some bugs. Sounds like he he's never seen his skin change before. No. So he but it was he a surprise was, for him. It was a big surprise, and he dawdled and he took his yeah. time. So this god then decided he'd send a lizard. To tell the people that they would die. Oh, no. So the lizard, in his deviousness, raced to tell people that they were going to die. But he wasn't racing before. No, well, that was the chameleon. Oh. This is a lizard. This is a lizard. Okay, this is clearly so, far too complicated yeah. for me. So the lizard, <laughs> the lizard went and hurriedly told the people first that they were going to die. And by the time the chameleon got to the people, they already heard the news that they were going to die. And therefore, we don't live forever and we die. And it's all thanks to lizards. Thanks to lizards? Yeah. Lizards are the reason for death, according to Zulu culture. prior to the last couple of weeks of research I've been doing, I would have just laughed that story off. But in light of the research and what we're going to talk about on this podcast, that has changed, my friend. Yeah. (laughs) Lizards are bad, bad news. Lizards are bad news. And I'm not talking about Godzilla. I'm talking about people that we all know and who are real. Uh, Could be your friends or family. Mm-hmm. Could be anyone, although particularly people who have power. And that's why this week we're going to talk about a very important issue, and that is reptilians. Gid, are you excited? I'm pumped. Good. You should be. Before we talk about that, though, and the Anunnaki, all things that will be explained in time, let's go back to our favorite topic, and that is conspiracy theories. Sounds good to me. Okay. So, both of us watched a few videos by a guy called Michael Shermer this week. He's... Uh, a well-known public figure. He's the publisher of Skeptic Magazine, which is uh, a magazine published in the United States. And uh, one thing he really pushes is evidence and belief in general and talking about those kind of things. So his contention is that belief is the natural state of things. But just because it's natural, that doesn't mean it's necessarily accurate or justified. So as people, we find it extremely uncomfortable to not have a belief to explain a certain phenomenon. We find it very uncomfortable to not be able to explain We things. want patterns in society. Exactly. And that's why he talks about something, which I think is a word he's coined, called patternicity. So it's the tendency that we have inbuilt in us uh, through evolution to assign patterns to things that happen to us around the world. So a very well-known example of this is Pavlov's dog. For those of you who don't know, Pavlov was a scientist somewhere or other, which I should know where, in Russia, who would feed his dog a treat, and every time he fed the dog a treat, he would ring a bell, okay? And he would do this over time, and every time he then rang the bell, the dog would know he was getting a treat. And eventually, 
Pavlov could just ring the bell and the dog would start salivating even if he wasn't given a treat. And that's something called conditioning. And that shows that the dog had learned to associate the two things and had seen the pattern. Uh, the problem is we also tend to do this with things that aren't actually patterns. So this gets to something we call type one and type two errors. So a type one error is believing a pattern is real when it is not. And in an example of where this might have had origins when we were tribal people in the savannah in Africa, an example of this is seeing a rustle in the grass and thinking that it's a tiger and running away. We needed that to survive. And, we, and that was essential to survive, even though 99% of the time it's just the wind. Okay? And so that's an error. Yeah. But it's an error that in general is survival. It's a beneficial right. error. Uh, on the weight of scenarios. The, a type 2 error is not believing a pattern is real when there is a pattern there. So seeing the rustle in the grass and thinking it's nothing important, it's just the wind. And it's actually a tiger. And then you get eaten by a tiger and you've just won a Darwin Game board. over. Exactly. And this is how we think that our tendency to look for patterns and to assign patterns has been so significantly entrenched in who we are and why, by extension, so many people find it so easy to believe in somewhat unlikely patterns like conspiracy theories because we find it so difficult to believe that a lot of what happens in the world is somewhat random, is somewhat chaotic, is out of our control. It's not part of our DNA to just accept that things just happen. Right. And taken to the extreme, that can lead people to believe truly unbelievable things. Yes. Yeah, you know, crop circles, for example, which mm. is not something we've discussed on the podcast, but what's the more likely scenario? Aliens from billions of light years and galaxies away came to Farmer John's field and put crop circles in his crops, or someone photoshopped pictures to make it look like there was crop circles, or someone came in the middle of the night and drove their truck. Mm-hmm. You know, what, logically, what's the more likely scenario? Mm. So, Well, on that word logically, I'm going to have to ask you for the near future to suspend that, uh, <laughs> that way of thinking, Gid, please. I'll as, try my best. As we maybe dive into reptilians. Can I just say one quote from uh, Michael Shermer before we start this? And I think it's fantastic for just generally when, when we're looking at this next conspiracy. Is that please do. Before we say something is out of this world, we should first make sure that it's not in this world exhaust our potentially natural explanations first before before we start looking elsewhere you look at potentially supernatural or extraterrestrial exactly all right let's get into it a hidden hand manipulating humanity's destiny through the shadows using those who seem to be in power when you connect the dots between apparently unconnected people and and situations and organizations, that's when the tapestry appears and you go, whoa. So that's what's happening. Reptilians. Very briefly, the overarching theory is that somewhere between 200,000 and 450,000 years ago, an advanced race of aliens came to Earth, gave us pretty much all civilization we know, and in some way their descendants are still with us today and they are a group of shape-shifting lizard people who control everything in our society. That sounds like the most reasonable explanation for most things. Well, it does. As you'll see, it ties everything in the world quite nicely together. Oh, that's great. Because, you know, life was a bit chaotic before mm-hmm. I thought about this, but now it all seems pretty neat and packaged. It sure does. But 
the people who do talk about this theory understand that it may sound a bit crazy. Now, David Icke, who is the most famous proponent of this theory, who, Gid, you'll talk a bit about his backstory a bit later, but he wrote a book on this in 1999 called The Biggest Secret Ever Told. And if it is true and it's a secret, I don't think that's an understatement. No. No. It would be literally the biggest secret ever. Mm. And so the foreword of this book is, and I quote, crazy, question mark, there are many who will dub me a nut for what I have written in this book. My reply is this, today's mighty oak is just yesterday's nut that held its ground. <laughs> and I, I think that is very sweet and it, very sincere. And it's a tone that is consistent throughout the whole book. Like, I don't. I don't think this guy's not having a laugh. Like he genuinely believes. There, there, there this are people whole that picture. have even questioned him about whether or not he's being serious. And they think he's just, you know, putting on this whole show. And he has stated that no, this isn't some sort of, you know, performance or or theory. My favorite. He's, he's he believes he's a hundred percent right. My favorite um, criticism of this that I saw is that I think a few people have thrown shade his way, saying that clearly lizard people is just a pseudonym for jews and he's clearly just using this to have a go at the jews and just quite earnestly him and i think other people in his cap it's like no 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 i'm really talking about shape-shifting <laughs> lizard people this has got nothing to do with the jews and i blame the jews for other things oh i yes no no fan of the jews in general but i just i think the whole thing is almost quite sweet but anyway let's 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 get into the meat of this so All over our world, there are numerous structures that we know are built thousands of years ago, which, and I'm going to just take the role of one of these conspiracy theorists, just to suspend disbelief, but they could only have been created with technology that is as good or better than what we have today. So you look at things like the Great Pyramids of Giza and the Nazca Lines, and the theory is the knowledge which created these wonders came from an advanced race who, in ancient times lived among a far more primitive race, who we might look back as Homo erectus or uh, early Homo sapiens. And there's buckets of evidence pointing to, it, to this in the structures themselves uh, and in our own religious texts and ancient writings. But the most comprehensive accounts of an advanced race visiting Earth are contained in tens of thousands of clay tablets that were found in the 1800s in Iraq, the, the original source of which is the ancient Sumerians who lived in that area between 4000 and 2000 BC. And they were the, known as one of the first civilizations. Yes, and that's, that's pretty well accepted. Yeah. But what has been said is that these tablets are largely ignored by the mainstream because they so clearly demolish the official version of events. There's a man called Zachariah Sitchin, who's referred to in this book quite a lot, who is a very famous translator of these tablets. What language is the other tablets written in? Ancient Sumerian, okay. I think it's called. It's a sort of Semitic, uh, Middle Eastern ancient language. I, I think it's somewhat comparable to uh, ancient sort of Hebrew and Aramaic. Okay. But he has no doubt the Sumerian tablets are describing extraterrestrial beings. And in those tablets, it says that the Sumerian civilization was a gift from the gods who in that are called the Anunnaki and Dingir. So Anunnaki means those who came from heaven to earth, and Dingir means the righteous ones of the blazing rockets. Now, might you ask, why would there be talk of rockets in ancient tablets? They didn't even know what rockets were. Yes, why indeed? Suspicious, isn't it? (laughs) This goes deep. (laughs) Uh, So the land of Sumer itself was called Kiengir, the land of the Lord of the Blazing Rockets, so a consistent theme coming out. And supposedly in these tablets, it says that the Anunnaki came from a planet called Nibiru, 
which Zachariah Sitchin believes has a 3,600-year elliptical orbit that takes it between Jupiter and Mars, and then out into far space beyond Pluto. Now, if you're struggling to keep up, that's okay. It's a struggle. (laughs) (laughs) And I don't think it's us, and I don't think it's you. It's just... It's the writings of someone who has not had their book edited by a professional. And that is how it very much comes across in the book. But we're going to power on uh, nonetheless. So, importantly, the Anunnaki, when they arrived here, in order they could get stuff done and get civilization moving, they created a slave race by combining their own genetic material and that of our ancestors. So, Homo erectus, uh, who is sort of our last evolutionary step, and then they produced Homo sapiens by combining their genetics with Homo erectus, which he suggests is probably the biblical Adam. And this explains the sudden uh, upgrade in human physical form that we do find in the record 200,000 years ago. And this is kind of how the world has been run ever since. So through these hybrids and through the Anunnaki themselves, they have been overtly and now covertly ruling the planet for thousands of years. And they, 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 in modern day, are the royal family or Rockefellers or... Or, or the leadership of today's world. Name someone with power, and they're most likely one of these hybrids. Yeah, so the Anunnaki created these bloodlines to rule humanity on their behalf, and they're still in control today. And the way they tell it, these families uh, are obsessed with bloodlines and keeping the genes and, and genetic inheritance, and they interbreed without regard for love, which is kind of sad. Aw, yeah. poor things. And this is something that is clearly evident in the royal families uh, of Europe. Well, and the Jews, of course, <laughs> who interbreed to this day. <laughs> but it's not that they interbreed out of snobbery, but it's to maintain genetic structure, which gives them certain abilities and connections to other dimensional entities. And they don't want to dilute their power yes. into us humans or sheeple. Now, I, I, I hear you ask, did you just say other dimensional entities? <laughs> and the answer is yes. Yes, I did say that. Stick with me, please. <laughs> Another interesting thing that is some evidence that points to this. So amongst many different independent societies on Earth, the great flood story is very common. So most well-known, at least in Western society, is that of Noah and his big ark and, you know, the animals that came on two by two. Uh, And there was a great flood that wiped out most of civilization. And the suggestion is that in 11,000 BC, there is evidence of an enormous cataclysm that caused this. Is this, uh, does this have archaeological evidence? Don't ask questions you don't want the answer to, Gid. <laughs> I'm here to tell you the facts, not the evidence. <laughs> so this was so cataclysmic that the Anunnaki, the alien race that arrived here, um, left in a flying aircraft as this giant flood destroyed destroyed most of humanity and interestingly this is where legends such as uh the lost city of atlantis come from people as far back as plato the greek philosopher who by the way was a high initiate of the secret society mystery school (laughs) network are you writing all this down it's important that you that you keep down every every point i've I've got a i've got a spreadsheet in front of me and i'm I'm Mm -hmm. making a list yeah so so the question is we don't have we don't have anything. I mean, we have we have natural disasters happening today. You know, that demolish entire things. You talk about the tsunami that happened in Indonesia that killed hundreds of thousands of people, but we don't have anything that compares to a giant flood that potentially could wipe out the entire human race and most life on Earth. No, we've never had anything quite like that. So the question is, how could this possibly have happened with just the forces we have? And so recently, talking in terms of world history. So the answer is, is that around 4,800 BC, 
Jupiter arrived in our solar system. Now, most physicists will tell you that Jupiter's been around a bit longer than that, uh, but they're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what happened is that a, a Jupiter eventually crashed into a planet which no longer exists, but was at the time orbiting between the present Jupiter and Mars. And at that time, part of Jupiter broke off to become Venus. Venus was projected into space and destroyed the atmosphere and life on Mars before it was caught by Earth's gravitational field, okay? Venus made a few orbits of Earth, causing the devastating natural events that so many cultures discuss, so the tides being pulled by that is what... So these sort of cataclysmic events that were happening in space Mm. somehow, some way just cause huge destruction, the likes of which Mm. we cannot even comprehend. Yeah, and now... I, I hear I hear the silent question from you and from our audience being that wouldn't physicists in the mainstream have picked up on some of those signs if there was a planet here and Jupiter only arrived about 4,800 years ago? It doesn't seem a bit unlikely that Venus would have um, orbited around Earth and then gotten nicely into its orbit. Um, and again, the answer is yes. Yes, those <laughs> things uh, do seem unlikely. We just pretend that. We just ignore, you know, the mainstream and to be to be fair, David Icke in his book a number of times says, "I know this sounds crazy." <laughs> he, like he, in one way or another, he says it multiple times. Like, but you you just have to stick with me and you have to read the whole book because the evidence is shocking. <laughs> and he never um, gets to the evidence, though. To be honest, I never got to the end of the book. It was it was a struggle. Um, it's a hard book to read. You've you've got to read this thing in excerpts of people who've taken. If if you want to. Look up the books. They're all in PDF forms online, and, and you can yeah. you can read them yourselves. So now we get to the point of lizard people, and the reason that we tie the Anunnaki, uh, the ancient alien race, to shape shifting li- lizard people currently is how clearly lizards and humanoid uh, lizard type people permeate throughout all of the cultures and ancient civilizations of Earth. So you look to Central America, and they've got Quetzalcoatl, which is sort of a feathered dragon type thing. You've got the Hopi Indians who have Baholinkonga, is a lizard god. Great pronunciation. Thank you. <laughs> Not that you know. <laughs> uh, there's the Nagas in East India. In Egypt, there's the Egyptian god, Knef. And in the Bible, of course, there's the snake in the Garden of Eden. So clearly this is all over the place in independent places. And how could that possibly be explained without some sort of reptilian race, some sort of reptilian bloodline being in charge of all of these different civilizations. So the question is, where did these people come from? They may have been extraterrestrials, like we've discussed already, from the Draco constellation. Uh, oh, Draco, dragon, of yeah, course, makes sense. You know. uh, and interestingly, this is the origin of the word draconian, which sums up their attitudes and agenda. <laughs> Again, also, uh, the character Dracula is a reference to Draco. And Draco Malfoy in, in Harry Potter. Uh-huh. And a reference to their powers that these lizard people have. Wait. Draco belongs to Slytherin. Slytherin's a snake. Oh. Snakes are sort of like lizards. J.K. Rowling. J.K. Rowling. Lizard person. Oh, you know it. We're gonna. I didn't even have her in my <laughs> list. We should let them know. Uh, write that down. <laughs> the other suggestion of where they might have come from is that they're interterrestrial, so they live underground in the enormous catacombs, caverns, and tunnels. Yeah, I, I, the when I was reading about this, he doesn't trip himself up, David Ark, but he's just got a few theories that all seem to be at random. That's there's something that the Earth is hollow and they live in the hollow of the Earth, or they come from outer space, or they're interdimensional. Uh, right, and this this kind of reflects the theme of conspiracy theorists in general. So if you get five of them in a room, they've got about ten conflicting theories between them. There's not a lot of consistency no, that, that's uh, and, that, and that varies you know, and that varies at 
as you get more to the fringe, as we clearly are here, the number of theories and the range increase as well as you're in the more mainstream ones. And even going back to 9-11 last week, there's various disagreements, but they do seem to be a bit more organized. Yes. This kind of, they're all over the place. But then this brings us to the third possibility of where they came from, and that's other dimensions. Specifically, the lower fourth dimension. And I don't think he'd make that up, because it, it just sounds... <laughs> real. It, it, <laughs> or the opposite of real. Um, I'll just read out some quotes. So, just to explain exactly this dimensional system. So, at the moment, you are tuned in to the three-dimensional world, or third dimension. And so, that is what you perceive as your reality. You are tuned to this station, in other words, but... As with radio and TV, all the other stations are broadcasting at the same time. And if you move your radio dial or change the TV channel you were tuned to before, it doesn't disappear. That channel still still continues to broadcast, but you can't hear it or see it anymore because you are no longer on its wavelength. But there are some people that can tune into the fourth dimension. And that's what we call psychic power, of course. Of course. Uh, And that's that's the quote. So We're going to come back to psychic power a bit later uh... because... Plays a big part in David Icke's yeah backstory, but that he goes on here, and I like I, I I almost could have gone with him there as like maybe he's got some consistent consistent ideas going, but then he says as my research continues, it is clear that the fourth dimensional reptilian controllers are themselves controlled by fifth dimensional entities, and then he says he says where does it end? Who the hell knows? <laughs> and it's the points like that that I think oh this guy's so he. he Seems so well-meaning. And he's, <laughs> he's, he's genuine. He's, he's just trying gen- to get the word out, and he's so confused. And he, I, I think he wants a hug, maybe. <laughs> Attention? He, he was on a tour here recently. I, I, we should have... We should have gone. If only we'd have known about all of this before. Next time um, he comes. And at this point, I'm not going to get... I'm not going to dig into the details of it anymore. Just some other points that he makes is... Uh, the reptilians operate through all races, but predominantly the white one. He... <laughs> <laughs> He does have links with white supremacists and the right. alternative right and neo-Nazis. Okay. It, because of his theories, especially some of his more anti-Semitic ones, he does seem to have a lot of standing within the neo-Nazi white supremacist movement. Well, maybe maybe now is a good time for you to tell us a bit more in general about David Icke. So, David Icke is an English uh, person who was a football player with the round ball. Soccer. Tickets, soccer. And he didn't have the most stellar career, playing lower leagues, uh, but he later became a journalist and a sports pundit for, for the BBC. He had a few experiences with stones and, and energies, as he claims, and, and he starts becoming a bit odd. He was also a speaker for the Greens Party in the UK. Oh, I did read that. <laughs> <laughs> and then one day he met a psychic by the name of Deborah Shaw, who told him that... Sorry, sorry, Mum. <laughs> who, who told him that he had been placed on Earth for the purpose and would begin to receive messages from the spirit world. He was a spokesman for the Greens Party and he announced that he would resign. The fact that he's a spokesman for a mainstream, relatively mainstream political party shows that no one had any idea no, about no, 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 this. No, 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 he was, he was on the BBC, which is the British broadcasting company, one of the most well-respected mm. TV companies in, on, in the world. And the Green Party, who, yeah, maybe on the fringes of politics, but it's still a mainstream party. They're not, they don't believe in anything out of the ordinary. Mm-hmm. And then he quit to a standing ovation, really. When he quit, he, he was a well-liked character within the party. 
He went on a uh, interview on a on a TV show with the BBC, and he announced that he's the son of the Godhead, and that the world would soon be devastated by tidal waves and earthquakes. And he repeated this prediction over and over and over again, and he just became a laughing stock at this point, and mm-hmm. amongst the mainstream. But he did find his audience amongst conspiracy the theorists, fringe. the fringe. He um, also endorses the Protocols of the Elders of Zion, which is I have not heard of that. Which is a anti-Semitic literature written in in Russia in the early nineteen nineteen uh, hundreds, and he is a Holocaust denier. Right. So yeah, he's doesn't call himself an anti-Semite, but by virtue of believing in those things, he, mm. he is. And those beliefs tend to all come from cluster. Cluster. I would hazard a guess he believes that nine eleven was a conspiracy, or at least was conducted by reptilians. Oh, well, he does. He's he says so, George W. Bush and most of his administration are, are reptilians. Reptile. So this, uh, Michael Shermer, who we spoke about earlier, he he speaks about people that find patterns over and over and over again are called schizophrenics, and and he's someone that has started to find patterns and. Mm. Well, so I think what Michael Shermer talks about is that's one of the hallmarks of schizophrenia. Yeah, so you talk about, talk about like uh, paranoid delusions. Yeah. Um, and if you shift in terms of this pattern recognition, if you shift too far off the deep end, that is a certain manifestation of schizophrenia. That's not to say that's the only... No, no, no. But that gets you a diagnosis. But, no, I, I'm not a medical professional. Mm. But you've got to question someone who's believing in the fringe side of things that there might be something mentally unstable about the person. Sure. But that's another thing that's actually um, difficult in the world of psychiatry is, you know, you often classify a bizarre delusion. So you might say this person has bizarre delusions rather than just, uh, rather than a different specific delusion. And then you ask the question of what is bizarre? That's something that we decide as a culture. Yeah. So there's often... There's some religious ideas that are quite mainstream that most people, yeah, that most people oh, that's ignore. True. That's but true. at what point do you that... say that it's bizarre instead of just a kind of a, a religious delusion or a, a normal kind of delusion? I suppose the numbers of people that believe in that delusion, mm. whether or not it's socially acceptable. Yeah. yeah. So, so this is, I mean, this is all this is all pretty interesting. But I think it'd be important for us to give something useful that people can employ in their everyday life that we can tell them about. And what I think is quite useful is telling people how to spot a reptilian. Oh, yes. Be aware, please. Reptilians get their uh, energy and and power from humanity's anxiety. You know, if if you can remain calm, then we're taking back power from these reptilians. You know, that's why war exists and genocide and sexual perversions which create highly charged negative energy and black magic ritual and sacrifice which takes place on a scale that will stagger those who have not studied the subject. Yeah, and there was a weird theme kind of throughout the book and throughout these relating to like uh, sex and sexual manipulation with with these reptilians. So you might not know the pheromones of iguanas and human women are a chemical match. (laughs) Is that true? It's not true. (laughs) But it's in the book. Um, another quote I had was, reptilians feed off human emotion and sexual energy, which is one reason why sex is so fundamental to satanic rituals performed for the demons. Now, this is, this is, this is another thing that happens. Is he, he's already, he, what happens in the book is he's already talking about something that is so fringe and so non-mainstream and then just feels very comfortable just shifting... And the demons too, <laughs> as as we all know, guys. And, and satanic rituals, and oh. it, now it's Christian themes coming like, into. He's it. just he's just not he's just not doing himself any any service 
I mean, he regularly branches out to contradict the stories of just about every field of scientific and historical research. Going back to some of the other things that you might look at in a, in a reptilian person. So they're often tall, cold-blooded, they're far less emotionally sensitive, and have great difficulty expressing love. Which I thought is kind of sad. Shame. Yeah. But going on to some of the other funny bits. So Carl Sagan, you might have heard of him. He's a a very... Well, he's he's, he's dead now. But yeah, skeptic, but popular scientist. uh, Was very passionate about... Comedian as well. Was he a funny guy? I think he was a pretty funny guy. Sure. So David Icke says that he clearly knew a lot more about this whole deal than he let on. And uh, one of the reasons that you can see he's clearly hiding something is that his name in reverse spells the East Indian reptilian gods we talked about earlier, the Nagas. Sagan oh, Nagas. And that is deep. if he were, you know, really clueless about the whole thing, why would his name be that? He knows. <laughs> he knows. Okay. So maybe let's just talk about what we think about, if it's not clear already, let's talk about what we think about this conspiracy theory. This is probably one of the hardest ones to take seriously. You know, something like 9-11 or the moon landings or even the celebrity deaths. The, the people who are involved in these things genuinely believe and have some sort of physical evidence. The starting point in terms of it, the reality that we live in, there's a sense that they're agreeing on a lot of the basis of the world we live in. Yes, they accept the rules. They accept physics. They accept, mm. you know, some sort of science. But yeah. They have different opinions as to how that maybe is playing out yeah. In, in the world, and that's how they differ when it comes to these topics. But they're... But David Icke and, and this, I mean... you know, It's hard to know where to start. It's coming from the guy's head. It's the one conspiracy that I personally find amusing and, and I like to joke about and, and say, oh, yeah, well, the Queen's never going to die because she's a reptile person. It is the go-to stereotypical conspiracy theory. Yeah, because it, it is so ridiculous and so out there, but it's so genuinely believed by David Icke mm-hmm. and his followers yeah but i think there are i think there are some interesting things we can learn from this in terms of where conspiracies in general go wrong he for one uses the words research and researchers extremely liberally and frequently and often and he does he sources everything in his book often it's the same handful of people um so it, it he's regularly talking about all these researchers i've spoken to but unfortunately that's not that's not good enough no it comes back to confirmation bias mm. You're speaking to people that believe in the same thing as you and are going to find evidence that is acceptable to you and that what you want to hear. Mm. Yeah. And one of the other things we talk about regularly is the suggestion of cover-ups, that the reason we don't know about this is there's been a big cover-up and more than any other conspiracy theory I've read, he's constantly inferring cover-ups. So why in physics do we not have this idea of Jupiter crashing into the universe 6,000 years ago? Well, the physicists are all in on it. No alien bones. Why are there no alien? Why is there no evidence of aliens? Well, that's all been uh, hidden away by the government and all that. So it's assigning competency to these people that is clearly not there. Yeah. No one. No one's that competent. No. And we don't have any evidence that anyone's ever been that competent. Well, that in on a whole sort of conspiracy to hide this. Mm. And he does talk about repeaters, who are teachers, doctors journalists who repeat these false facts who don't necessarily they're not in on it no they're not in on it but they perpetuate the Mm. untruths Mm. just uh, just a final thing i thought i might bring up is the point that he makes in the book about how widespread depictions and stories about lizards and dragons and those type of creatures is in our history and in the different cultures it's an interesting point yeah 
why do these independently developing nations all kind of focus Have especially on stories on dragons or dragons yeah yeah, I suppose the barbel has the snake in the garden. Hmm. The Zulus have the lizard yeah. that brought death to the world. And I was talking about, you know, the Chinese emperors uh, supposedly descended from dragons. As I said before, the Aztecs uh, worshipped uh, a feathered sky serpent. serpent. Yeah. So this goes back to our evolutionary history. So snakes, more or less as they are today, have been around for 100 million years. And that's throughout the entirety of mammals evolving so mammals have been around for about 60 million years in any form and what we were 60 million years ago is a lot different from what we are today but that entire time snakes have existed and snakes have been a danger to us more or less in the form that they are and they've been a danger to us and so there's the snake detection hypothesis that primates uh, evolved visual systems to detect dangerous animals and primarily venomous snakes So for a long time, humans and apes have been particularly good at detecting these snakes, which in turn, the snakes themselves specifically evolve to be difficult to detect. They sit kind of coiled, they don't move until... Coloured to the environment. Exactly. Now, there are all kinds of studies that show that we can notice and react to a snake without even consciously acknowledging that there's a snake there. So there are certain studies on blind people that you can do, that blind people whose blindness comes from the ocular center of the brain, they still have interesting visual abilities left that come before you actually, the the signal gets to the back of the brain where that region is. So you can put them in front of a screen, especially if they had vision at one point, you put them in front of a screen with someone smiling and they'll smile. Uh, They won't be able to tell you why, but they can. They can navigate some like large obstacles, even though they can't exactly tell you why they move to the left. And another thing is they can react and jump when they see a snake video, even though they can't tell you why that's happening. Yeah, but then we get to... So not all of these cultures talk about snakes. Often they talk about dragons. And a dragon is not exactly like a snake. It's got legs, it's got wings, it's got loads... It's still scaled and reptilian in nature. It's reptilian in nature, but it's it's not... It's got a load of teeth. It's, it's It's not really a snake. So one suggestion is that it's a snake mixed with a leopard and an eagle. These are the three broad categories of predators that monkeys and apes in general hate so you talk about serpents you talk about raptors and then you talk about carnivores carnivores correct and there's evidence we can see of this in the animal kingdom so howler monkeys have specific uh, alarm calls for those types of creatures which they'll respond to in different ways so going back a long time in our evolutionary history we've identified those three and the dragon is a composite of the three major predators that we have evolved alongside. And that's why, that's the explanation for why they've emerged in all these independent so cultures. humans have been afraid of reptiles. So reptiles become representations yeah. of negative aspects of, mm. of life. Or important aspects. So godlike or right. and, creation. And, or... and that's potentially, it's not, it's not necessarily the answer, but I no, think it's no, quite no. a good I, suggestion. Yeah. And it just shows that there are ways of thinking about this that you don't need to... Jump to the fourth dimension and the hollow <laughs> the, earth with uh, demons. To be clear, it's the lower fourth dimension. Oh, sorry. <laughs> sorry. Um, shouldn't, I shouldn't talk about it if I don't know, if I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> exactly. You, you didn't finish the book, did you? No, no. I can't say <laughs> um, All right. I think maybe we've done enough there on reptilians. What do you think? Anything else you wanted to say? No, uh, just that this one I think is just interesting in the study of conspiracy theories and why people believe in conspiracies. We try to look for order when there is none. We want to believe things that we subscribe to and we, and we look for evidence that is in that way. 
And I, I just think David Arkhamhart have good intentions. He wants people to be aware of these things, but it just comes from a very peculiar place. Mm. Quickly, I don't think we've actually mentioned too many specifics of who are the reptilians. I would mention the Queen and uh, George Bush and of his course. cabinet. Obama, the Clintons. Of course. And interestingly, in this book in 1999, when Bill was president, he said that Hillary was actually a more powerful reptilian than Bill. Makes sense. <laughs> Which, you know, she almost rose to power. Um, maybe the Donald is our one one hope. Lady Gaga. Is the Pope? I think we can assume. <laughs> I'd assume the Pope. <laughs> an interesting one I liked was Benedict Cumberbatch. because I could. He he's played, a creepy looking guy he's, as he's well. A, he's an odd looking guy. <laughs> I would believe that he was had some reptile in him. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think he is. Um, and Madonna, of course. Um, Do we have to even mention her? Yeah. I mean, you can find a lot more of these on Anunnaki.org. <laughs> That's just a quick plug for those of you wanting to do your own research. How do you spell Anunnaki? A double N U N A K I. Well, I know my stuff. I think this conspiracy is not one that either of us could even begin to subscribe to. Oh no, you didn't say that. You didn't say the name of the podcast. Conspire to believe. Ah, mm. oh, willing to conspire. That's the one. Neither of us are willing to conspire, but we'll keep trying to find one that we are willing to conspire with. The search continues. This week we have a new sponsor, and that sponsor is the Banting Food Co., which is an Australian handmade paleo banting, low-carb, low-sugar, gluten-free food company. Is that the sick banting? Sick. That's where it comes from. Well, they've chosen the right podcast. So so banting is this sort of diet. Uh And the person who started the company, I suppose, thought banting banter. Well, that's the connection I made. Yeah. And I'm hooked. Tell me more. So Banting Food Co. are recreating traditionally healthy foods, which have become more and more unhealthy over time. Inspired by a love of food and flavors, they were founded on the idea that creating high-quality, nutrient-dense, and delicious products is achievable. Handmade in Australia, they have created products that are gluten-free with no added sugar to allow those following any lifestyle, or more specifically paleo-banting, low-carb, low-sugar, or gluten-free ways of eating, to enjoy the delicious taste of natural flavors and quality ingredients. They've got a great range of porridges, mueslis, breads, crackers. Google them, Banting Food Co., and have a look at their great range. And they've been so kind to have a competition this week, a giveaway. Ben, hey. would, you, ben would you like to discuss the giveaway? I sure would. So this week, and I'm very excited about this because why wouldn't I be? Two lucky winners will be receiving bags of Banting muesli delivered to their door. Yeah. So all you need to do is, if you haven't already, like the Facebook page. And when we post this week for the episode, just comment underneath a topic that you'd like us to cover and you'll be in the running to win a bag of muesli. And don't worry, if you've liked the Facebook page already, uh, you'll be in the running. Uh, So as long as you've liked the Facebook page and you comment on the post that we'll put up with what conspiracy theory you want us to cover in the future, you will be in the running. Now, unfortunately, uh, they only deliver to Australia. Australia, yeah. Feel free to post and like and share if you live outside of Australia, but unfortunately, you will not be receiving that uh, sweet, sweet, good, good muesli. Well, it's not sweet. It doesn't have any sugar in. It's healthy, healthy. Healthy and sweet. It could be sweet. (laughs) It's good. No added sugar. And somehow tastes fantastic. It does taste good. It does. It does taste good. Yeah, it is really not. (laughs) All right. They're friends of the show and they've been listening since day one. Yes. And also just a shout out to all the listeners near and far. Thank you for listening every week. We we really appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you. 
on with the show. Well, it's been a while since we have treaded into the world of conspiracy theories ourselves and given our two cents, and I'm very excited to say that this week, Gid has a conspiracy theory for you guys, and for myself as well, I've not heard this. So, I am all ears, here we go. Alright, so, Ben, let me ask you a question. Why did you start listening to podcasts? You told me about a podcast. Ah, so I personally started listening to podcasts because I couldn't stand radio. You'd be listening to the radio, enjoying some music, but then you'd have 14 minutes of of adverts. We all know that pain. It is annoying, and I've just stopped listening to the radio as a result. Now, 74% of people listen to radio every single day in Australia. Well, You've got over 40 commercial radio stations in Melbourne, and these range from LGBT radio stations, youth stations, Christian stations, rock stations, classical stations, you name it. And this is just in Melbourne, okay? Now... There's over 30 operators of commercial radio stations, and 80% are only within 12 networks. Oh, you're throwing a lot of figures my way. I like it. Like I've said, I stopped listening to the radio because of adverts. Because, like we've said, you notice patterns. Mm -hmm. Now, adverts are what prop radio stations are. They're commercial. They exist to make money. They couldn't pay for radio. They couldn't run without it. You can't run a radio station without adverts. It costs between $350 to $550 to have a 30-second advert. Now, this can change based on the time of day, the radio station, you know, various various things. Like I've said, I've noticed patterns. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's ever happened to you, but it's happened to me a lot. And I don't know if this is a collusion between these networks, but more let's, than once, let's assume that it let's is. Let's assume that there's a collusion. More than once, I've been flipping the radio station channels and i go to one station and there's adverts on and i think i don't want to listen to this i go to the next one well isn't that isn't that just bad luck yet oh it happens too many times for it to be bad Mm. luck i think there's some collusion going on here because more than once genuinely more than once and i think anyone would attest to this listen to change between four or five or six stations whether it's a rock station or a youth station, the adverts all seem to be on at the same time. Now, I'm not accusing anyone of anything. Yeah, well, why any Why would they want to collude when I'm listening to my good, good radios? Because they want you to be listening to the advert hmm. instead of their music. So there's nowhere to go. So you're forced to listen to their adverts. Oh. <laughs> oh. It's, it's, it's fun to go from <laughs> world-dominating reptilian shapeshifters to... Don't talk bad about Rupert Murdoch. <laughs> oh, who is certainly a reptilian. <laughs> and he owns some of the radio stations. Yeah. But it's, it's fun to go from that to... They're making us listen to ads. Oh. I'm telling you. That one that one actually is true, isn't it? <laughs> I'm pretty sure yeah. it is. Yeah. Like I, would, I, would, I really wouldn't be surprised. I, I think it is true, isn't it? Don't they, don't, they, don't they time it deliberately? Probably. Oh, I the... couldn't find any information about... Oh, you couldn't? There's truth on it surprising. Right, but... Oh. It could definitely be a possibility the that bastards. they're all timing their radio state adverts so that they're on at the same time. Wait a minute, have we found one that we actually agree upon? Yeah, it's a conspiracy. <laughs> we need a sound effect for this. What can I? What can I put here in post? Uh, X files, night music. Okay, yes. <laughs> let's um, let's sing along to it. <laughs> Da ba 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 da ba
Well, that's as good a time as any to round out the podcast, I think. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed listening as much as we enjoyed recording. Okay. And as always, you can find us on Facebook, uh, Willing to Conspire the page. If you want to get that sweet, sweet muesli, sorry, that good, good muesli, healthy muesli, healthy muesli, you need to like the page, comment on the post. We'll post the details on the Facebook page, share with your friends, like it on iTunes, or rather... Leave us a review if you want. Five stars, obviously, because we're a five-star podcast here. <laughs> and thanks again for tuning in. Until next time. Get out. Get out.